0: I had like a a drug dealer who uh, said, um, um, you know, I was holding my daughter after she was born and then suddenly I I got overwhelmed with emotion and I realized my daughter is going to be ashamed of her father because he's a drug dealer and I decided at that point I'm going to stop doing drugs, I'm going to stop selling drugs and I'm going to go work for my dad or his dad in business I guess. And he said, I did it because I didn't want my daughter to be ashamed of her dad.
1: Welcome to What I Meant to Say. I'm your host, Wendy Jones, founder of Be Better Media and a mom of four, passionate about human connection. Throughout my journey, I have experienced many What I Meant to Say moments. But since life doesn't give us do-overs, I've created a space to reflect and tell our stories again with a little more grace for ourselves and the hope that we can help others and be better for having listened. Welcome to What I Meant to Say. I'm your host, Wendy Jones, and I'm here today with Jim Bond, uh, founder of the Father-Daughter Project and author of Brain Glue. And we're going to dig into some topics that are really near and dear to my heart today. So Jim, thank you so much for joining me. This is going to be a good one.
0: Thank you, Wendy. It's awesome being here.
1: Yeah. So um, as we were talking a little bit this morning, and I was telling you, my North Star really is generational learning and healing and when I um, connected with you and heard about the father-daughter project and um, I was so interested to know about what more about what that is and and how you came to start this project what it's all about So can we start there with the father-daughter project? Sure.
0: I mean, it led me to brain glue, which is really awesome. And then my daughter, Lauren, I have a son and three daughters. We have a son and three daughters. I never say I, because, you know, yes. but, uh, we have a son and three daughters. And they're also, my son is a little over 40 now, and my daughters are in their 30s. But um, uh, one of the most important things for me, I had a lot of people that praised the book brain glue and everything else. But when Lauren said, you know, Daddy, I'm so proud of you. I just finished reading it, and I can't believe it. It's like, <laughs> I don't care about Jack Canfield. I mean, yeah, I do. Thank you. I go to his, you know, but no, I, Lauren said it. Wow. And I connected with her. But so, so we have a son and three daughters. And um, when my daughter was, uh, when Lauren, so we gave Lauren the initials LA. So we know who, I'm originally from, we're originally from Montreal and we moved to Los Angeles. And so when Lauren was born, we moved to Los Angeles. So I always say, how long have we been in Los Angeles? How old's Lauren? She's 36. So great. We've been here for 36 years. And it's oh. funny because I gave her the initials. We gave her the initials, but I did. LA, Lauren Asia, A-J-A. And so two years ago, she says to me, "Dad, how come I love the name Asia? People love it. It's really cool. Why would you name me Asia? And I said, well, there's an, a Steely Dan album called Asia and a song called Asia, which is awesome. She listened to the song and called me back and said, That song is horrible. That's what you named me after. And I'm like, I'm <laughs> sorry. You know, you name a child and it's like forever. That's their name, unless they change it. But I mean, usually you don't. But no, she eventually said, I kind of like the song. I've, you know, listened to it a few times and I got it. Thank you.
1: Yeah. So at least it grew on her. And I'm yeah. I'm a music fan. I think music is so powerful. So I, I can relate to that. That's really cool.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. But so so when she was 22 years old. I learned she's our middle, our middle daughter, middle child and middle daughter, actually, because we have a son and three daughters. Mm-hmm. And uh, I heard this terrible story about her when she was six years old. And uh, I'll tell you what it was. But when I heard it, I realized, wow, I mean, she grew up and I was so focused on my business that I didn't. I, You know, she was the quiet one. And I never really got to know her. And it led to starting the father daughter project. I'll tell you. Let me tell you a story of what happened to her first. It's terrible if i may of course so we lived in ojai california for a while and our house uh butted up against the the uh um, baseball field the local baseball field so it was dusk and every boy and she's six years old at this time okay and every like boy in in ojai is there okay playing baseball or watching friends and all their parents are there and our fence butted up against the baseball diamond. It was dusk, so light was coming in from the from the lights into our backyard. And our my, my son and older daughter were looking through the fence, just a crack. They opened up the fence slightly so they could look onto the baseball field. And they called into Lauren. I said, Lauren, Lauren, come on here. You have to see this. And Lauren said, no. She said, yeah, yeah, Lauren, you've got to see this. She said, well, I just took a shower. And they said, don't worry about it. Just come out here and take a look at this. And she goes, okay. And she goes out with a towel on and she goes up to the fence with a lookout. (laughs) They ripped the towel off her, pushed her naked onto the fence, uh, onto the baseball field, and closed the gate. And she's knocking on the fence. Guys, you got to let me back in. They wouldn't let her back in. She had to walk naked around the baseball field and up to the front. Now, my kids are not mean, okay? And my oldest daughter says, Uh, Dad, I know you're telling you might tell people the story, but you got to tell them we're not mean. We just thought it was a prank without thinking about the consequences. I got that, but for her, I mean, I suddenly realized that terrible thing happened to her. Like she had to walk naked in front of every boy in 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 the whole you know uh, city, basically, and go through that had to have an effect on her. I had somebody was telling her, and they said, "I bet you baseball anymore." But it's not. It's that's funny, but it's not funny, and so it was funny because for me at first I laughed a little bit and said, "Wow, that's really an odd thing to do." And then I thought, the more I thought about it, the more I realized, what a terrible thing! It must have affected her in so many ways, and here she was, 22 now, and this happened when she was six. And I realized if that happens to her, what else happened to her during the whole time that she was there? I remember I was at a client, and I was uh, uh, emailing her. And I said, I heard about this terrible story and I feel really bad. And I feel like I wasn't there for you for your whole life. And then she said something to me in an email and I'm like, started crying and people came up to me. Are you okay? Oh yeah. It's just my daughter sent me an email. And it was, uh, I've been waiting my whole life to hear this. Gosh. And it just it overwhelmed me and it made me realize. So, Okay. I learned something. So I started interviewing fathers of daughters. Okay. And for free, I was just, we would, everywhere we would go, if we would go to some conference or something, I like would put up, my wife would help me. We put up a sign that says, I'm doing the daughter project and any fathers of daughters that would like to be interviewed, fine. And we did our recorded calls. It started like in the beginning, I wanted to figure out how to be a better dad. But as time went on, I ended up, And getting over 101 fathers of daughters on recorded calls. And I got, I got to tell you some of these. I I had like a a drug dealer who uh, said, um, um, you know, I was holding my daughter after she was born. And then suddenly I I got overwhelmed with emotion. And I realized my daughter is going to be ashamed of her father because he's a drug dealer. And I decided at that point, I'm going to stop doing drugs. I'm going to stop selling drugs and I'm going to go work for my dad, or his dad out a business, I guess. And she, he said, I did it because I didn't want my daughter to be ashamed of her dad. And it was, like, really powerful. Then I had this other guy. Oh, this one was one of the world's uh, most powerful in, in attorneys. And I don't want to say who it is, but he's also one of the founders of the HMO industry that hired, you know, the big uh, pharmaceutical, I mean, uh, you know, healthcare industry. mm mm-hmm. And he said to me, uh, so when I got on the phone, it must have been his daughter that referred it, you know, because we wouldn't let people know what we were going to ask them, but they recognize that it's really powerful. And so when I got him on the phone, and it's good that I was on the phone, because I was face to face, I would be like, "Ah!" because this guy is like powerful. And the first thing he says is, okay, what the hell did I get myself into here? Okay. So I'm like, go through the questions. And I have a behavioral management background. So I would ask, deep questions. And you, you can't ask a deep question, like, you know, with the first question being deep, you right? Little questions first. And it's like going underwater, you know, if you hold your breath and go underwater, when you come up, you can go underwater and stay underwater for longer. And so the yeah. same thing is with questions. I could go deep, 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 deep and I'll stop and I'll ask a really easy question. Like, you know, what are other dads like, <laughs> you know? And okay, now let's get back to you on a scale of one to 10, you know, yeah. That way. but this guy said to me, he has a son and a daughter that are his biological daughters, and then he has an adopted daughter. And he said, normally, if you have a son and a daughter, you can't adopt. Um, but because, you know, they, they want to give it to families that don't have kids, basically, first. But mm-hmm. because I have such a clout in the, in the healthcare industry, I got my choice, and I got to choose a daughter. And she, her mom, the the adopted daughter... Her mom was an alcoholic, so she sort of had that tendency. But she was about the same age as the other one, as the son and daughter. And so so I said, so tell me about your daughter. I'll go through the questions. And he would say, I'm proud of her. She went to Harvard or I don't know where she went to, but some big university and stuff like that. And she's an educator now and all this stuff. And she's got two kids and everything else. Okay, great. So now let's ask about her. Let's say her name is Jenny. It could be, I don't remember what the name was, but I have it in my book, but uh, but let's say her name is Jenny, okay? So let's talk about Jenny. And he goes, oh, okay. There was such a transformation that it was, you know, this is a guy I got to cry. I couldn't believe it. So yeah. he goes, oh. And I said, so what's it like? He said, and he starts talking about her his daughter. He starts explaining things. And in the process of explaining things, he said she became an alcoholic and uh, my and, and then he a transition happened, and he says, "You know, I never realized this before. My family was boring before her, because everybody was traditional and everything else. She's defined my family, because once she she became an alcoholic, my son and daughter they they devoted their entire lives, obviously and their lives, but to helping their sister." And I suddenly saw the real personality of my son and my daughter, and all of us because she she literally defined our family. And we got her all you know because my son and daughter worked so hard. We got her off uh, alcohol. We recognize that it's, it's going to be an ongoing thing. They helped her become a teacher. She got educated. They stuck. They stuck with her. You know they they worked hard with her and everything else. And she's defined our family. I never realized it and mm-hmm. until now that she's actually defined my family. Oh, I'm sorry. But he got all, he starts crying. This is the guy said, what, I, what did I get myself into at the beginning of this? At the end, he's crying. And then he can't wait to get off the call. He said, you know, she's flying into New York. And my son and my, da- my, son and my daughter are meeting her. And uh, because she's just got a job as a, a teacher in New York. And how long is this call going to be? I got to call her. I got to tell her I love her. And I was oh. like, wow. <laughs> was really powerful but it was it's funny that it was so superficial first you know i gotta talk about her oh yeah she was the problem and as we started talking through this he started to recognize no she's you know she's the most important thing that's in our family she's the most important person it was really powerful i i learned this thing with father daughter project that blew my mind about myself and i'm supposed to be this guy i've I've behavior management for everything else what do i know I've been a consultant for most of my life, including a, a business consultant. As a consultant, and a lot of guys fall into this trap, it's like, we're problem solvers. right. And I, So we're sitting at a table, uh, and Lauren and the rest of the family, and we're at a movie theater, and they have a, like a dining room, and uh, she was telling about a problem that happened. And then she solved it. But I started giving her advice. And she got mad and she got get up and left. This was like at the beginning of the father-daughter project, as the father-daughter project was evolving. And I was, everyone was like, why is Lauren so mad? That's, if she got up and left, you were giving her, you know, helping her. And then I realized, and I, and I called her, and I, and I spent time with her. And I was talking with her, and I said, I think I figured this out. I spent my whole life giving you advice, haven't I? She said, yes, you never listen. I'll start talking and then you'll immediately come up with a solution. And And I realized, I'm telling her, Lauren, you're stupid and daddy's smart. and Daddy's going to help. You know, I didn't mean to do that, but I'm saying, you, you can't figure out stuff. Daddy's going to figure out for you. I would cut her off. I, would, I mean, not cut her off, cut her off, but, you know, I would like, she would start talking and I would stop listening because I was going, oh, I know how to solve this. And just, and I realized my whole life around her had been, I don't, I didn't know her. I never got to know her. And the reason I never got to know her was, um, you know, because I was so busy being a consultant that I wasn't being a human dad and connecting with her. And it was just, you know, it was just profound for me how I changed. I suddenly had to learn how to sit and listen without trying to throw my, you know, and turn off my brain, you know, wow. I mean, not turn off my listening brain, but turn off my problem solving brain and say, you know, just, Hey, what's, how's, what's it going? And so she has two kids now, uh, little kids and uh i'll call her up and i'll just say hey tell me how, how's it going and i'll shut up you know and it's it's i've learned this from the father-daughter project but i just and I'll and not be afraid of silence and she has lots of time to think She said yeah let me tell you what's happening blah blah this is happening that's happening whatever else i get frustrated sometimes because she's very smart she's in business too she's a realtor but she's like buying Anyway, she's got this whole thing going with realty, which is really fabulous, and uh, and, uh, it, and plus she's a mom of two little kids, you know, and she's dealing with that as well as that, plus being a wife and all that. And so you know, going through that stuff, and it's just amazing to me. But also, so many people are deal with her the way I dealt with her that it's it's great for her when I talk with her because I give her lots of time to actually tell me what's going on without me trying to rush her. Yeah. You know, and it's just—it's—it was to me. It was such a profound thing for me to learn this. Now, I have two other daughters. We have a younger daughter's mental illness, so we've gone through a lot of that and learned. That's a whole other story, but and she's fabulous. I'm connecting with her now, even though she wanted to kill me at one point. <laughs> and so we learned that, and we learned a lot about mental illness and how how how, how common it is too, particularly uh, um, depression now. But you know, but the the relationship with father and daughter. For me, was so profound on so many levels because with my son, I'll call and "Hey Jordan, how's it going? Oh, not too bad. Anything doing? No, not too much. Oh great! Yeah, I just got off the call with Jordan. A great call. <laughs> you know, we didn't talk about anything. Yes. My <laughs> was, TMI, TMI. Let me yeah. talk about my sex life. Oh, TMI. You know? Yes. <laughs> you know, it's a it's a totally different level of communication. I remember yeah. holding our oldest daughter, and I remember this, and this affected me with Father Daughter Project. I'm holding my oldest daughter uh, Morgan. And I said, Oh, you're so beautiful, but you look just like Winston Churchill. And my wife says, don't say that. I thought oh, she doesn't know what I'm saying, you know, but it's just, it's the whole thing about having young babies first as daughters is, you know, we don't have to learn communication. I mean, women tend to be better at communication in many ways than women, than men. I ran a behavioral management firm. <laughs> Let me tell you, it was a lot easier training, training women, uh, who are PhDs in psychology and organization development and others to listen, then it's guys, you know, guys would so, you know, Hey, let me solve the problem for you. You know, it's like, shh, shh, shh. let the groups figure out how to solve it. You know, really? But I want to, you know, yeah, you're trying to show how smart you are. Stop. You're smart. You know, you don't have to tell everybody you're smart. And it really, it's just, it really had a
1: big impact on me. Yeah, that is, that's, there's so much there with the, you know, the male, female roles and the, um, also this the gold that comes from parenting i want parenting's one of my favorite topics and i always i have four kids too and telling people you know we spend so much time on you know the graduations and the christmas cards and the the scholarships and the the awards and all of that stuff but what you really realize as you get farther along in the journey is it's it's the adversity and the hard things that you go through the way you choose to manage those and like and really be present with it absolutely defines your relationship with your kids.
0: And I never realized what scared me as a dad as I started doing the research into it is how much of an impact I have on my kids, on my daughters particularly. And so, let me wow. give you an example. This, this, uh, a friend who's a copywriter, she lives in Santa Barbara. And so, as I was, I wrote the book. I had the the, um, the essence of the book. And I asked her if she could read it and just gonna give me some feedback on if it was good or bad. Uh, And she read it and she gave me this about herself. She said, "I started reading this and then I realized she's um, um, from uh, from from Ireland, okay, originally." And she said. And she's she's in her 60s and never got married. had some relationships. They were really small relationships and never realized how much an impact her dad had on her. She said, I started reading my book, and I realized this. To me, my dad was a cold fish, okay, until I started reading your book. And then I realized, like, oh, wait a second. And she said, I started realizing this thing happened. In Ireland, guys, are drinkers, you know. And so dad would come home half drunk because that's what dads do. You know, they drink. And And so she said, my dad came in. I remember this as I'm reading your book. I suddenly I recognized this thing. She said, my dad came in. You know, you could tell he could smell booze on his breath. And he said, hey, you know, can I help you with your homework? And I said, no. You know, and I humiliated him. You know, you're drunk. You know, and he turned around and he left. He didn't leave forever, but, you know, he went and he left. And I realized, I bet I humiliated my dad. And I can suddenly remember other times during my life. When my dad approached me, like he did with this, he wanted to help me somehow. He did the only way he knew how, and I humiliated him and scared him away. And she said, "I always consider men cold fish through my whole life, and I've never had a close relationship with a with a man." And now she said, "My dad has passed away. I wish I could talk to him now. I I can realize." I, it's the first time I realized he was actually trying to connect with me and didn't know how. And as soon as he did, I would push him away instead of him. And I always thought men were cold fish. I'm like, whoa, you got that from this? Because a lot of it is just I'm re- reviewing, uh, you know, doing elements of the uh, interviews that we had. So we're doing the interviews it had an impact on me. But it was like, wow. You know, I mean, just the relationship, and the relationship with fathers and daughters, it can be so profound. I'm amazed how many famous people have better relationships with their fathers and their daughters. And it's not because it's a a men, you know, man son relationship, but I mean, they're famous people and have big companies and all that stuff. And two things happen: is uh, one of the things I discovered through lots of research, uh, including on the Supreme Court, that. When a father gets a daughter suddenly they start voting differently you know a father who who has who owns a company or has a company it could be a head of a big company like a multi-million dollar company or whatever else suddenly they're how they relate to daughters and women and not daughters but women and they give them promotions and all that stuff improves when they have a daughter you know it's just i mean so this that attorney was talking about (laughs) yeah he was telling me (laughs) how uh, one of his daughters uh, she, he uh, he said something and she said you are a mean you're a mean daddy and a mean person and he said young girl do not talk young girl do not talk to me about that and she said no i have to tell you because somebody's going to tell you everybody's afraid of you and he was telling me how he went to he said you know stop you know stop i'm not going to stop he went to work and he asked his assistant or his secretary he said, "My daughter said I'm a mean person. Am I a mean person?" <laughs> he said, "What do you think she said to me?" She said, "Do you want an honest answer?" <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, you probably said, like. Oh, wait a second. Yeah, said, it's just having a daughter got me to start looking at how I interact with people in the first place. I mean, life is tough, you know. We're in business, you know. But uh, am I that mean a person? And
1: <laughs> yeah, her answer so was, just-
0: "You want the you want me to tell you the truth." <laughs>
1: Yeah. I mean, that's powerful. And I, I, it reminds me my, my best friend, she had an amazing mother and her, her mom would always say, um, you can, you can lie to anybody, but your kids, your kids always see the real you. Right. Yeah, Yeah, and, and and I, I actually give kids credit who are willing to speak up because that's not always an, I mean, that's a character trait. And it, I'm wondering through your studies, like, what are some of the character traits that you've seen that fathers that come from that father daughter relationship? Like, do you, you see so, what I'm?
0: So here's the biggest one. Okay. The most common comment that I had from 101 dads of daughters, and they were totally different all over the country was I want to have a better relationship with my daughter. I just don't know how. And so this guy was telling me the story. And this was common. There were a lot of people told a similar story. He's telling me the story how um, you know, the more he, the closer he tried to get to his daughter, the more he seemed to push her away. And I know why now, because I bet it was because you're trying to give advice, and that's how you're trying to get closer instead of listening. Okay, but that's fine. But he's telling me how he tried to get a really close relationship with his daughter all his life and he he never could. And now she has she has two kids. And she has a terminal disease. I forget what it is. And she's going to die. And he said, um, I'm closer to my daughter than I've ever been before. She moved in with me. I said, hey, look, you're renting a place and everything else. Stop renting. You know, take some half of my house, I'll, you know, and all this. I guess I don't know what happened to his wife. I think She passed away, I think. But um, And he said, and, and I'll take care of the kids. And he said, um, she, "She she hugged me. And she said, "I love you, Daddy." And it was—I mean, near her death—and he said it was the most important moment in my entire life.
1: Yeah, oh, oh, I know you're—you're yeah. you're giving me the chills. And I, I mean, he I it- said she
0: knew that I was going to take care of the kids. Also, that it was—you know—the the kids are the most important thing in her life, and that suddenly we're family. <laughs> sorry. <Wow. laughs>
1: no, I—that's—that is profound, and I I. I The stories that come through when we talk, when we really have, I'm with you. I'm not one for small talk. That's part of the reason I love to do this podcast is you get these really deep conversations about what really matters in life. And um, when it comes to fathers and daughters, what what do you think are the most profound things that a father can impart to their daughter?
0: Well, the first thing he has to do is turn off his cell phone. I was in a store. And I saw a little girl. She must have been three or four years old with daddy in a, you know, in a like a a Best Buy or uh, not in a food store. Okay, Uh, probably Trader Joe's. And uh, she's talking to him and going out of her way to talk to him. And he's like on a phone. I'm listening to what he's talking about. He's saying, "Eh, I don't know. What do you think? I don't know. Anything, anything. It was like BS. He was talking about nothing when he was with his little girl. And she was, daddy, what do you think about this? You know, it goes, yeah, fine. Okay, whatever. You know, it's like you're missing an opportunity to connect. I mean, she wants to connect with you. You know, turn off that damn phone and just, you know, be with your daughter. I mean, how much time do you have? When I do it, as it goes through brain glue, okay, the issue of, you know, we're affected by emotion by emotion, not logic. Okay. I mean, they, there are these major studies that discovered that more than 90% of the decisions are made on the emotional side of the brain. Okay. And that's why they say no, like, trust. Okay. I got it. But it has to be more than that. You know, but there's got to be that triggers emotion, but there's got to be more emotion. And so I realized that, um, you know, a lot of the things that we, we don't interact from an emotional standpoint with. Uh, so if we're selling Disneyland, okay. So people would say, I go mad, glad, sad, fear, shame. Okay. Pick an emotion, mad, glad, sad, fear, shame, okay? So a lot of people would say, glad for Disneyland. How about shame? Shame? If you're trying to sell Disneyland, say, so you spend your whole day away from your kids. When you go home, you're on the phone or the computer, okay? I mean, come to Disneyland where you can finally have a time that they'll remember you and them sharing something together. Shame, okay? Because it's the power of, like, do we understand you know, the, you're gonna blink, and your kids grow up. My my son is 41, 41 maybe almost 42. My daughters are in their 30s now. Like, how did that happen? When did that happen? You know, I mean, it happens so fast. And you know, I have a I have a an ex partner. He was fabulous, but he had a stroke mm-hmm. in his uh, late 40s. Okay, on a treadmill. I always said those things will kill you. you know, he always
1: said <laughs> he had a stroke <laughs> on a treadmill. I was like trying to, sounded- to get me on a treadmill. <laughs> You sound like my dad. That my okay. dad, my dad says stuff like that. <laughs> okay. But, I, I love to uh, exercise, but that's a scary story. He has,
0: he has no uh, siblings. He and his wife, they have, they have no siblings, no brothers and sisters. Their parents have passed away, and they have no kids. And I never asked him because I didn't want to make him feel bad. In case you know, who knows what the reason is. But I realized, like, I mean, I've got kids my whole life is defined, you know, is fabulous. I mean, it's not defined because you never know what's going to happen tomorrow. <laughs> but right. I mean, but, you know, if I didn't have kids, I can't imagine what my life would be like. Yeah, I focus on business I love. I mean, I talk about Brain Glue. I did, I did, I've done the book Brain Glue. I'm really proud of it. But my daughter's proud of it. And oh, that affects me in a way that my friend, Bob, will never have. You know, you can never, He, you know, I understand, okay, you get some do a lot more skiing and a lot of of those types of things. But that doesn't replace the love that you feel, the connection that you feel with your your kids. And sometimes you have a bad ones. I have a. I got, can I give you a brainstorm glue story. Yes, so absolutely. So Google has tools that trigger the brain and make it easier to get people to say yes to you to buy your products and services, but to say yes to you too. And so, um, rhyme is one tool. Okay, because this mo- this mom asked me to help her with her son. <laughs> So rhyme is one tool, and a, and a metaphor or analogy is another tool. Okay, it's like uh, if you think of um, Shark Tank, the TV show. It's not a tank full of sharks, but they, because it has that cool metaphor, then people remember it. Or Rocky Road ice cream. It doesn't have rocks in it, you know. up, <laughs> oh, hey, look, there's rocks in this ice cream. What's that? No, it's you know. But so, um, so this mom said, "So you're an expert in brain glue." I always get worried when somebody says that because Jack no, uh, uh, John Gray, who did "Men Are From Mars, Women From Venus." Oh yeah, anyway, he changed the title of his book, and it went from twenty thousand to uh, fifty million books, just because he changed the title from "Men, Women in Relationship" to "Men from Mars, Women from Venus." But he's telling me, "Do not tell anybody you're an expert." I go home. I'm supposed to be an expert in men, women, relationships. I go home, and my wife proves me wrong all the time. Tell him you're a specialist. So I'm a specialist. okay. I love it. Okay. But he said, so uh, was brain glue. So she said, you're an expert in brain glue. I, as soon as she said that, I'm like, oh no, what's she going to ask me? And she says, my 14 year old says, um, mom, mommy, why do we have to follow so many rules in life? How do I answer that? So I'm like, uh, okay, so let's start with rhyme. You know, rhyme is one of the power tools. It's like, it helps OJ Simpson get off from a murder trial. It's like, gloves don't fit. You must have quit, you know? Uh, yeah. on the murder trial, okay? But uh, so I said, let's start with rhymes. So why do we have to follow so many rules? What rhymes with rules? Oh, fools. Only fools don't follow rules. So there's one, okay. Okay, So but let me do an analogy or a metaphor too. So I came up with this metaphor. And I said, uh, so I sat with her and her son. And I said, so you were asking your mom, why do we have to follow so many rules in life? And he says, yeah, this is a 14 year old. So yeah. So I said, well, when you're thirsty, you could drink out of the toilet, but why would you want to? Remember, only fools don't follow rules. And he looks at me and he goes, well, that makes sense. Of course, when does a 14-year-old ever say that anything makes sense? I escaped quickly before he asked another question, yes. <laughs> But I mean, But it, it, what I it doesn't really make sense what I said or did it just trigger parts of their brain? You know, and it, it made him go like, oh, interesting, you know. And I, there are two phrases, uh, political phrases. One of them is, you, and these are the same because they're not logical you can't hug a child with nuclear arms. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's like, hmm, okay. When people are gonna, like you're nodding your head, you know, yeah. you go, hmm, okay, does it really make sense? There's no logic to it. You're taking your can't hug a child, which is emotional, with nuclear arms. Hmm, okay, you know, that's, that's emotion too, but in a whole different way. But you're bringing the two together and, it, and people go like, ah. Oh. You know, there's another one, and this is not an anti or pro gun thing. So I'm not I'm not taking any political stand on this. But I heard a pol- a, pol- um, a comedian say this, and I thought it was in- it fell into the same category. And he said, um, "The right to bear arms is almost as crazy as the right to arm bears. You know, it's like <laughs> what? <laughs> okay, and we laugh, but it's it's it triggers. You know, yeah. So, but I it's it's lots of fun because I get to, to share with my kids. Because they've gone through the uh, the brain glue book, my daughter said, like after she finished reading it, she was like, oh, it was really, I'm so proud of you, and it's like, "Oh, thanks. I tell the story in the beginning of the book. I don't want to totally ruin the story, but I'm gonna I'm gonna ruin it. so if you guys read the book Brain glue, I, I'm ruining the first story. I apologize, but it's a really a good story because I think it it sets up the book, but it helps us too and I'm talking about Lauren again, my middle daughter. I love it." Lauren was four years old. So here's the title of the section, okay? My four-year-old daughter didn't want to have sex with the boy next door, okay? I remember, <laughs> so yes. I, I do lots of workshops for a U.S. small business. By the way, having kids gives you great stories. I want to start there, okay? So if you're a writer yeah. or if you have any ideas, you can get great ideas from kids and a kid experience. But this was profound for me. And I was so I, I, I was uh, sharing this with uh, the classes I do with for the U.S. Small Business Administration. And I said, um, so, I'm, so uh, I heard my daughter outside our door. I was standing near the door of our house. And she was talking to the boy next door. And the boy next door said, do you like Alan, the boy next door? And Lauren says, I like him, but I don't want to have sex with him. <laughs> Four years old, okay? So, you know, I, first I looked for my wife. You know, Pam, you need to act as a parent, but she's in So I had to go out there and be parents, okay? And so I, I asked the group. I, I I often ask the group, I said, well, what would you say to your daughter? And it's usually women that say, you should tell her, she shouldn't be talking about sex or whatever else. And then I tell her the punchline. And the punchline is I went out there. Luckily, I don't know why I had the right question, but I said, Lauren, what's sex? And she said, that's kissing. I said, yeah, don't do that because you'll get germs. And then I quickly escaped by the way. But I mean, how, it's a four-year-old. Why do we assume a four-year-old has the same understanding of things like sex as we do? You know, that's it's it's crazy. And I I always help uh, people understand. If we get it wrong with a four-year-old, are we getting it wrong with a forty-year-old? I mean, we always yeah. assume people understand what we're saying. I love Zig Ziglar had a great line. Okay, and yeah. this is why we focus on text and emails all the time. Okay, and this is a problem that comes up. Listen to these words, okay? And then I'll tell you all the different ways it could be interpreted. I did not say he beat his wife, okay? okay. I didn't say he beat his wife. Somebody might have said it, but I didn't say he beat his wife. I might have implied it. I didn't say he beat his wife, okay? And am I talking about tennis? Yeah. How many different ways can you take these words? So you send a text to somebody. We live on text, right? You send right. a text to somebody, and suddenly somebody's pissed off at you. You don't understand why. Why? Because they misinterpreted something you said. Yes. I had this lady that said, why do you scream all the time? Which I do scream, sorry. <laughs> no, but, why do you scream all the time? And I said, I'm sorry. She said, no, every time you send an email, it's in all capitals, all capital letters. I said, oh, interesting. Yeah, that's screaming. Yes. And I, I stopped, by the way. I do sometimes have a headline with a capital but I, I I misunderstood what she was saying. She was telling me, I'm screaming all the time. I could have gone, I'm really sorry, and I'll try to lower my voice. But she didn't mean that. What she meant was, you know, I'm sending emails with all capital letters. But yeah. it's
1: so easy to misunderstand, you know? Absolutely. I mean, but tone tone and inflection matter so much. One of my daughters is in theater. And it you you're right. I mean, the way that we understand each other. Like, it's not just the words, it's the tone and inflection and body language, or all caps if we're right. It is, it that's a fascinating. Well, Margaret
0: Thatcher in my book, I talk about the tone of voice because Margaret Thatcher became the prime minister of England. But before she did, she had she talked fast and she had a higher voice, and she actually had to go to a voice coach to lower her voice. She went to a voice coach. We taught her to talk a little more slowly, and so and, and because they loved what she represented in the party in the in the party in England that she was part of, but they would never elect her as prime minister or as head of the party and eventually become prime minister. After she went through the voice coach, they voted her in. And I came from a family that they would shut me down all the time. I was the oldest of four kids, especially my middle brother. brother. I love him tremendously. In business, no, we were in business. You oh know, yeah, but, you know. But he would interrupt me all the time. And I was, you know, I became, it's good. That's probably why I did father and daughter because I'm a good listener <laughs> sometimes. Yeah. But, you mm-hmm. know, I, I, and that's one of the things with the father and daughter when I interviewed dads is I would be, I would ask a deep question and I would be quiet. And I would say maybe 10% of the dads, maybe more, were embarrassed and would say, I'm sorry, it's taking so long. Said, no, 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 all, you take the time you want. And then out of it would come something really deep. Okay? That
1: inclination for dads to want to fix, right? What you were saying, like to 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 really just speak quickly and say, I want to fix this. Do you think that comes from more of, you know, just the male mindset? Or do you think it's because we don't want our children hurting and we just want to stop the hurt? I think it's a combination of both. I think it's one of the things we have to remember
0: that a lot of it comes from how we evolve. I mean, we were the hunters and you were, the, and gather, I mean, you know, we were the hunters. We had to go out there. There's sort of something in the brain called um, uh, it, the connection between the left and the right brain. I forget what it's mm-hmm. called, but it's, uh, it's uh, corpus callosum. Okay? okay. Yes, yes, yes. And it connects the left and the right brain. And uh, when we're in the womb at some point, when we, when it's, when we're male, when it's determined that we're male, whatever happens, we start getting a, a, a bunch of um, um, testosterone. And testosterone eats away at the corpus callosum. It doesn't totally eat away at it because you have to have some connection. But it eats away at a lot of the corpus callosum. Which, and that makes sense. That's why my wife can do multi. She's listening to music. She's listening to NPR or something while she's doing typing and while she's answering questions with somebody else. I How do you do that? I have to turn off music and sound if I'm doing, you know, if I'm writing an email that's really important or something like that. And it, it's part of it, I believe, is because we had to go out and hunt. And if we're hunting a wild animal, like a tiger or something like that, we have to turn off our emotion because otherwise the emotion will take over you. And you go <laughs> And then you make noise or who knows what it is and you'll, you won't survive. So we have to be able to turn off emotion. And that's one of the things that a lot of daughters and women have told me is, you know, you guys guys turn off emotion like all the time. It, it's interesting, you know? And it's because we have the ability, to, it's easier for us to turn over, off emotion, I believe, than it is for women you know i mean that's why you'll get overwhelmed with emotion i get this guy who goes oh what am i going to oh, i have to talk about my daughter now okay you know and in the end he starts crying it's unusual because but i'm making a connection somehow and it's connecting with him in a way that we want to cry i mean guys cry we don't cry when we're watching football games or whatever or i watch hockey but i mean we do sometimes you know but, yeah. but it's very rare you know but when guys get together, it's it's fascinating. I always find it fascinating because when it's just guys are together, if you're not watching a football game or some sport or something like that, you know, they actually get into deep conversation. I have this friend I know who's gay. He was talking about how hard it was dealing with his family. and Or this other guy, this Hispanic guy, who suddenly uh, he lost his job. And, his, and his, he's this old guy. And he was talking about how uh, his family told him, do not get another job because you're going to hurt our unemployment. And he's like, I have no purpose in life now. I'm—I was the breadwinner for the family, and now they're telling me don't work, you know. And like, we get deep conversations, but it's—it's it's only when guys get together and there isn't like something on, like sports or something like that, that guys will actually talk about. It. In fact, I had this guy—we're talking about the listening, okay? Or a bunch of guys that got together, and he said, "So I have this thing that I do. I come home." I know there was a football game on. I do not turn on the football game. I sit on the couch with my wife and I say, so tell me about your day. And I sit, I force myself for 20 minutes to not say anything. And all the rest of the guys went, really? You sit for 20 minutes and don't say anything? Yep. That's what I do every day or almost every day. I go home. I force myself to do that. It's like,
1: wow, you know, we were envious. (laughs) That's the value of that. That's really powerful because I could see, I mean, especially if you, I mean, at that point I was a stay at home mom with little kids and to have that connection, that human connection of, of, of an ad- adult conversation and to be able to unload whatever had happened in your day. I mean, that's a really powerful relationship tool that is, that speaks volumes to me. That's really well, cool.
0: And as fathers of daughters, we grew up with a girl that didn't talk. So it was body language and the connection. So we have a connection with the daughter. I mean, not all connections are good. I'll, I'll say that, okay? Right. In, in in most situations, you know, we hear about the bad ones without realizing the bad ones are this big and the good ones are this big. I mean, most of them are good situations or they're trying to be good situations. Yeah. And so as a father, I remember because I had three daughters. I, I grew up, you know, they grew up and we didn't have to talk. And so because we didn't have to talk, we can communicate without talking. Then as time went on and I started talking, I was comfortable because they already knew who I was. They knew that I loved them and held them and hugged them and everything else. And hugs are very important, by the way.
1: Interesting. (laughs) That makes a lot of sense to me. But is that something that came out um, in your interviews? Yeah. I remember I had this fireman. (laughs) This guy was
0: awesome. He was a 9-11 fireman. He had friends that died on 9-11. He has a daughter. (laughs) And uh, as a fireman, he would work three, work three days and be off four days or work mm-hmm. two days and be off four. Something, you know, he worked a few days because there were 24 hours and then he'd come home and he'd, okay. Right. And so he had his daughter and his daughter was fantastic. They would have events like fireman events, like log shooting or I don't know what it is, these big things that they have to do. He brought his daughter And she would be talking with the guys, and he would say, she's great. She has conversations with all these people. I'm their best friend, and she gets them talking more about stuff than me. She's like, you know, you're really young. So then I said, uh, you know, so when she went off to school, what what was it like? And I meant for her, you know, now that she's going off to school, what was it like? He said, it was terrible. I came home to an empty house. Uh, My daughter was my best friend and suddenly I didn't have anybody to come home to. It was miserable. (laughs) This poor guy.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I I mean, yeah, I, I, my daughter's home for a few weeks right now and at 22 it is interesting how I believe so, so much that the, the, what we invest in them when, when they're young really transforms into a beautiful relationship when they're older, because you know, when they get older and they don't need you Physically or for their security, what's left of that bond? And I, it sounds like maybe some of those things would really come through in the interviews you did, because that's what we're building towards: are those beautiful adult relationships? And yeah, no, no hardest thing. (laughs) (laughs) She gets her driver's license (laughs) on a
0: regular basis. (laughs) I know where she is all the time, but she's got a driver's license. I don't know where she is. You know, she's got freedom now.
1: Ah. Oh, for sure. I've been through that now with um, three of my four. My fourth one, he'll he'll be able to get his license in, in August. But what you do know, you realize once they get that driver's license, it's a whole new game. There's so much freedom. And at the same time, you want them to have that because we are trying to raise independent right. adults. Yeah. But it, yeah, that letting go is, it's right. scary and it'll keep you up at night. And my, my third born recently told me that she'll tell her friends at 1130, I have to go, I have to go home. My mom can't go to sleep until I come home and she gets up really early in the morning. So she goes, mom, I use you as an excuse and I have to leave. <laughs> so well, and it's, have, it's not really an excuse. It's the truth. Right. But well, I had funny
0: moments. Like, uh, did you have the sex talk with dads <laughs> with your daughter? It's <laughs> like, uh, no, I, my wife did.
1: <laughs> uh, you yeah.
0: I had this one guy that said, uh, so she got this big bathing suit and I told her you can wear it in our backyard, but you are never leaving the backyard with that bathing suit. You understand that, right?
1: Yes. <laughs> um, that it's just,
0: the relationships are, it's just so powerful and so profound. I mean, it's so profound on so many levels, father and daughter with the daughter and with the father with men. I mean, it's just, it's, it's just amazing.
1: Yeah. What do you think are some of the things that you've learned? I mean, I always say, It's a, it's a blessing that to know, to know both, to have, I have sons and daughters, but from a father's perspective, what do you think are are the differences, um, the things you've learned from your daughters versus the things you learned from your son?
0: I learned a lot and a lot about communication and a lot about miscommunication, but, uh, sorry, it was, uh, I remember, um, uh, dates, the first date that the daughter goes on. Yeah. For a lot of dads, it was fine. It was not a problem. But for some of them, you know, this guy said, he said, so her boyfriend came up here and i was acting really tough. And it's just, oh, my dad's just kidding around, <laughs> you know, it's like, what? I'm yeah. trying to make sure you're
1: okay. you know. Yeah. yeah
0: Dad. Okay. Dad. Anyway, come on, let's gonna go inside.
1: <laughs> but do you, do you think that that protective gene, did that, did, did, did that come out in the father daughter um oh, discussions? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well yeah
0: the the drug dealer that didn't you know he didn't want his daughter ashamed of him yeah. you know I am humili you know I didn't want my daughter you know I want my daughter to understand that I'm you know I don't th- I don't want her to think I'm a bad person I'm sure there are people that don't care there you know there are some dads that are, have a problem there's some women that have you know you know you know inappropriate uh, inappropriate interactions and all that stuff but they are the exception not the rule you know I'm mean, even yeah. uh, heard um Uh, Oprah Winfrey talking about their bad relationship where she was molested and everything else. And then she went her uncle took care of her uncle was good, you know, big impact on her. And so, you know, we have to understand. I mean, I think the first thing we want to understand is uh, for between dads and daughters is communication more than anything else. And the second is what a profound impact. I have this woman. uh, She's originally from France. She's a... um, A famous photographer. I don't want to say who she is, but she's a famous photographer. And she photographs famous people like Michael Jackson and, I mean, just Mm. like famous people, okay, and her families. And uh, so I did Father-Daughter Project, and I wrote the book, The Secret Life of Fathers. And I said, and it's got questions in it, like questions that a daughter can ask her dad. And uh, she said, and I said, can you ask your dad this? I want to get a sense for what the questions are. He said, well, no, my dad's, you know, my dad's, I never have a good relationship with my dad. I said, oh, come on. Said, well, okay. Um, oh no, I, I started by saying, uh, so your dad, you're interacting with your dad. Why don't you show your dad your photographs? Take them to your website. He said, no, my dad always, you know, he has nothing but negatives to say about it. I said, oh, come on, show your dad your website because I want to get feedback on like you're you're starting the interaction with your dad. She finally said, okay, fine. And then she calls me back and she says, oh my, my dad said in Croyab. he said. He was floored by my photography. My dad has never been like that to me. Okay, that's great. So then she's going to France. She's going to Paris, okay, on a vacation or something like that. And she's going to other countries too. And I said, so here's the questions for the father-daughter project. Ask your dad this. She says, my dad's never going to answer. I said, well, just try. He said, okay, fine. So she calls her dad and she says, you know, my friend, uh, the father-daughter project, he's got some questions. They're kind of personal questions Can I ask you. And he said, yeah, sure. So she calls me back and says, yeah, he's willing to answer the questions. And I said, "Uh, okay, so go. Cool. So she goes to Paris, and then she goes into her dad, and she spends some time with him. And then she says, hey, can I ask you a question? He says, sure. So she starts asking him the questions. And after he realizes how deep the questions are going to be, he cuts her off and says, okay, I I didn't know you were going to get that deep. I don't want to answer questions. So she left humiliated, you know, pissed off. You know, I knew my dad was going to be like this interesting when she got home um about uh two weeks later she had called me and said it's amazing my dad called me and he apologized and we started talking and he started telling me stuff about himself that he wouldn't normally tell he's never told me about himself and uh it was just you know my dad my dad never talked to me about stuff about himself you know he always he always bullied me i'm never going to be anything whatever else amounts to anything and it's just uh you know she said suddenly he's talking to me, my dad's talking to me, this is she called me crying, she never cries, she's a tough girl, and she called me crying, telling me this, you know, my dad never tells me st- stuff like this, and I was quiet, and he was talking and telling me how 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 proud he was of me and and relationships and with my mom and all that stuff, and he just started talking, and I couldn't shut him up. it was amazing
1: Did <laughs> she just- did she say how, like what it was that shifted or in him or, or, you know, to, to have that, I mean, maybe it's just self-reflection and giving someone that chance to self reflect. That's and what it's, it is. She it's said opposition.
0: Yeah. She said he recognized uh, he felt really guilty after I left. And uh, he recognized that he's never really talked to her personally about him and how he feels about her and his life and all that stuff. You know, we talk about thinking, not feeling, okay, and uh, and that the questions were around revolving around feeling. You know, how has your daughter affected you, and how is your how would your life be different if you didn't have your daughter, if your daughter was not part of your life? You know, like questions like that. And uh, on a scale of one to ten, how do you how do you feel you are, you know, as uh, you know? But, but you have to that one you can't. You have to wait. But you have to ask easy questions before you get to some tougher questions. And, I see you know, this. Yeah, exactly. But it's just it you know it, it was just really powerful because yeah, I my mom. So, huh, um, so I never thought of my mom as a daughter. But as I'm doing, I did father daughter project after I wrote the book. I said I should interview my my mom and start talking to her about her. I didn't totally interview from the questions, but I started asking her questions about. And um, I never realized this: my mom had been married three times. She died last year. But she'd been married three times. I had a tough relationship with her. She was really abusive towards me. And mm-hmm. then I suddenly had this moment, this religious moment, where I sat in my room, really pissed at my mom. And I realized, you know, this is not about me. She's not mad. She's just her. her she's a mess uh, emotionally. And I just happened to be there. And so she's taking it out on me. And I realized, no, she's having a hard life. And my dad was really, my, her first dad, her first husband was really tough on her. Mm-hmm. I tough on her. Huh, I didn't realize her dad was the one that started it all. Okay, her dad came from Europe, uh, from Romania, and uh, he married someone who was uh, related to a famous, a world famous family in Canada, originally from Canada. Who, um, who was um, um, I forget his name, but he is an author, famous author. Tons of movies that are written because of this author. Mm-hmm and uh, it was her he, she was related to them and they had a big trucking company so they were wealthy and all that stuff she wasn't wealthy but so when they married she was like in the new world from the new world and he was from the old world okay the old country and so he had a restaurant or the a club and he expected her to work in a club and she's like used to not i don't do that i'm a, i read literature you know which I mean, is a totally different generation basically she loved him deeply her my mom's father but my grandfather but it, it, it didn't work. It just didn't connect culturally, and so she left and left him with four kids. Okay, and uh, she would interact periodically with the kids, but she was like torn because she 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 loved him and then knew she couldn't connect at the same time. Okay, mm-hmm. letting her off or not, but I'm just saying that's what happened. Okay, so my grandfather had this pain that inside him that he didn't know how to deal with, so he took it out on my mom you yeah. know you're have you ever looked at yourself in the mirror nobody's ever going to want to be your married your wife your husband you know she he would torture her with things like this yeah. She would try hard to be the the mommy in the family wash the clothes and to you know and take care of things and stuff like that it was never enough and yeah. uh, she would be tortured by her dad you know and just i'm not getting him off the hook on this but that's what he was and she said she became a cpa he said Nobody's ever going to want you as a client uh, to, to be your client. I mean, don't you understand it? Don't you understand how bad you are? You know what I mean? He would torture her. And I only, as I was talking to her, that she started exposing it. And I went, wait, as a child, I kind of, I remember little things like that. And he would pick on her. And it was like no reason. And it wasn't because he didn't love her. It was because he was so overwhelmed with emotion and didn't know how to deal with his emotion. That he took it out on his kids, which is common, sadly. Okay. Yeah. So then she got my the first husband um and uh he was like the same i mean he was tough and successful in business and everything else but he would torture her all the time he would just really you know just he wouldn't never physically but uh, mentally emotionally okay yes. mm-hmm. eventually divorced him after she tried to commit suicide uh. she divorced him and uh then she eventually married someone in Chicago who was a successful businessman and all that stuff And he was also very tough on her eventually since she divorced him So I called my mom and I said, hey, how's it going? And she's uh, sitting and living in Southern, California. And she said um, Oh, yeah, I'm I'm, uh, I'm Teaching Norman a guy downstairs for me. You know, she had a condo in, in Southern, California So I'm teaching Norman a guy who does, who lives downstairs for me how to dance because if nobody and it teaches him how to dance, the guy's are going to die of loneliness. And I said, "Well, why?" Well, his wife died of cancer about a year ago, and uh, and yeah, he's just not a social person. I said, "So what's he like?" Oh, he's the nicest person. You wouldn't believe it. I said, uh, "What does he look like?" Oh, he's so cute. I said, "So how come you don't date him?" Oh, without ex- without a hesitation, he said, um, "Because he's he's too." I have to remember the word. Um,
1: She's basically saying, because he's too nice, you know? That is so powerful. How those patterns that we carry with ourselves, like this, you're telling the generational trauma story and it that's what strikes me in so many of these conversations and how important looking in the mirror is and trying to understand where we came from. And it's a really hard thing to do. Well, the good news is within six months they married
0: okay oh, and it changes it changed her life i saw my my mom said um you know i, I she would be holding hands with him she, i never saw my mom holding hands with a husband you know he she would be sitting he eventually died after just over tw- uh, about 20 years and we were at the hospital while you know in his last days and i saw her sitting next to him holding hands and they were crying and everything and it was like she she finally had somebody to connect her with him. He's too nice. He was too nice to her. She wasn't, he would defend me. She says, Norman defends me, you know? I mean, sometimes he would sit back because my kids would attack. They, you know, My kids have a lot of my mom's genes, you know? Yes. You, know you stop t- treating Norman like that. You're being mean to Norman. Oh, he's okay. You don't tell me how to treat my husband. Yo, Ma, you're, you're treating Norman badly. You know? and, they would, and Norman would sit there like all of us would sit back and with a big smile on their face as they watch it, you know? Yeah. But I mean, but you can see that my mom was like a kid. I mean, she was like a teenager with her first love when she finally had it. But it made me realize it was just a fraction away from her rejecting this guy who was the perfect one for her. And because it was programmed into her from her dad that, you know, if I'm not comfortable with somebody who's, you know, not being abusive towards me. And it made me realize like how profound it was and that it can change. This is not you know, it's not in, in lead or in stone that this, can't be changed. It can be changed, but it does take help and support.
1: Yeah. And that's, that's part of what we're doing here. And people telling these kind of stories because it really reduces the shame that comes along with them. Everyone, I always say everyone's doing the best they can with what they know and then add to that. It's our responsibility to learn more. And when we learn more, you know, we can be better. And for ourselves and for the people around us and it it it's it's profound to see the effect that that can have but it it really is baby steps right at each and these questions that you ask and that curiosity that you had to start the father daughter project i mean these things turn into amazing things that help a lot of people so you know i i everything that you're focused on i think can really make such a profound difference in this world and I, it it blows my mind cuz there's just you hear so many bad things in the news and to know there are people out there that are really focused on the things that help people grow and connect. Cause that's what we're wired for. You right. Know? That's right.
0: Well, and I come up with, I'm from the baby boom generation where we focused on trying to leave the world better than we found it. I mean, my favorite, one of my favorite movies of all time is pay it forward. You yeah, know, I love term. pay it forward because it's so profound because it's saying if somebody helps you help somebody else, and then we'll all, we're all making the world better and you owe it. I mean, there's something that's po- so positive that comes out of making it there. I mean, I get people talking to me about the father daughter project or about the brain glue thing. I mean, I had this woman who <laughs> my wife and I are in a grocery store. She comes up and says, I have to tell you about your husband. He this. She's like 85 years old and she lives with this other woman and they have a, um, 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 button company. They they import buttons from around the world. They don't look like buttons. They're really a beautiful, amazing things. And so I helped her with some of the stuff I do as a small business administration with Brain Glue. But she's like, I have to tell you, your husband helped us, and you know, blah blah. It's like, oh, yo, know, that was fun, you know. But I, I mean, we don't do it because we want to get that. But there is something that's so powerful about getting that. Just like you know, when Lauren said to me, you know, I'm so proud of you, dad. I read this book and it was just so fun to read and it was so relevant. And, and I'm starting to apply some of it and blah, blah. And to me, it was like, oh, oh
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. thank you. You know, I mean, it's it's, just t- it just it connects. Yeah. And, and well, that concept that like if we can learn what we learn and then someone gets to learn that younger than we did. To me, that is one of the greatest things that I ever see. Well, one of the most important things we have to do is support, and this is one of the things we have to remember.
0: My mom didn't have anyone really supporting her as she went through that. I did when you know she talked, finally met Norman, okay, and so that was really powerful. But I have this woman, I'm because I'm up for they're preparing me for a TED talk on brain glue, and so oh, cool. I have this other woman. Thank you, but it's really fun. But um. Uh, this woman who is from India and so we're coaching each other and helping and supporting each other. And she had a husband who was abusive, uh, mentally, you know, meaning, um, he was, um, um, just uh, so she's a surgeon and she does, um, heart surgery and she makes a lot of money. She makes like over $400,000 a year. And, uh, when she, when she was pregnant in the third trimester, Suddenly he started picking on her and he and their fa- his family lives with them too, and so she starts telling how she's having to deal with you know the when you're the most vulnerable is when they attack you okay and they start attacking her and just and now she's living with her daughter you know and and she's divorced and everything but she recognized I was talking to her, and I was supporting her I was saying no, this is you are you know you're amazing and is that you've done this, and it's important that you have to and she was talking about That you know, there are a lot of other people she wants to help. I said, "You are the most important role you have is being a mentor to other people that are struggling this way. They're dealing with somebody who's, you know, who's so focused on themselves. I mean, she would do things like." She said, uh, "And so as I, you know, I'm pregnant in my third trimester. I look at my bank account and it's empty. I make four hundred thousand dollars a year, and he's a surgeon. Where's my money? He bought himself a Maserati with my Mm -hmm. money and his. It's like, and I'm going like, why are you doing that?" You know, he says, hey, you don't tell me what to do, blah, blah, and all this stuff. It's like, she said, this is not the guy I thought I married, you know? And she says there are a lot of people, uh, you know, who deal with it from South Asia, she calls it, that have, uh, you know, uh, um, uh, a husband, and then you fall into that trap, and suddenly you're stuck. Right. And she's not a prisoner because she makes big money,
1: so she can, you know, she has to control. That concept. Yeah, that, that concept of not being a prisoner and and really when you're in something abusive, knowing that it's very hard to know that there's something better when you're in that very scared place. But at the same time, that concept that transformation is always possible and there are parts of you that you'll never know if you don't take that scary step. Right. It's, it, it's, it is something that is very scary for families and I know this from firsthand experience, but... There are parts of you you'll never know if you don't do that Right. That right. work for yourself. Well, and I think that's what with families and certainly with spouses or boyfriend and
0: girlfriend. I mean, it, when you get to the point where you recognize we're in this together, we're going to go through this. We're not always going to agree with each other. We're going to have some fights or whatever else. That's part of, you know, we, we don't have the same mind. And so we're going to bounce ideas off each other. Sometimes it's not going to work. Got that. But when we make the commitment that we're in this together, you know, I mean, I, I'm successful. I wouldn't be successful without my wife. You know, I mean, we had this, I helped the company go from zero to $5 million in eight months. And then suddenly they screwed me and I lost, we lost all our money and everything, you know? I mean, it just, it was no reason. It was a stupid reason why. It was just, there was absolutely no reason why. Their lawyer said, well, you know, he's devoting all his time and putting his money into the business. You know, uh, there has to be something wrong with him. He's probably trying to screw you. And then eventually the lawyer, and and they got this idea that I was, which is ridiculous. Eventually his lawyer said, I realized you're just an idiot. You're just being too nice. I said, really? But you, can you fix it with your client? He said, I'll try. And he wasn't able to try it because once he plants the seeds, it's there. But my wife stuck with, stuck with me through that and through, you know, hard times, good times and bad times. We we're partners. And then, you know, I always remember taking my kids on a bus <laughs> just before we left Montreal And so I'm with three kids and we get on a crowded bus and then our oldest daughter starts vomiting. We're, uh, you know, crowded bus, a standing room, only. we get to the back of the bus and then she starts vomiting, like curling, vomiting for no reason, you know, I guess because she's on a bus and a ride or whatever. And so first it was amazing how suddenly we had room (laughs) because everybody gave us room on the bus, but it was all the women, all the guys don't know this, all the women had Kleenex (laughs) here's Kleenex. Uh, None of the guys, including I had Kleenex. We were not prepared for that. But Mm -hmm. so uh, thank you all you women out there that helped me because (laughs) you guys are more prepared than we are.
1: (laughs) Well, we all have different skills. And I always say like, we talk about leadership a lot around here and it's, you know, men and women lead differently, but when they both are, when they're both the strongest versions of themselves, we can really all lead to, we lead synergistically and when we start working against each other or trying to be like the other one it causes a lot of problems and it's not a competition
0: and and not only that but so men who are managers and have daughters i'm sure it's with just wives if they have a good relationship but with daughters actually do a better job of managing because they become more conciliatory and more you know engaging and so i i remember when i was doing the book uh the Secret Life of Fathers and the Father-Daughter Project. I heard this guy on NPR who was talking about um uh he's Iraqi but has never been to Iraq. Okay, and he's in at UCLA. And because uh, you know, we we beat uh, Saddam Hussein and all that stuff, he decided he wanted to go to Iraq to visit it. And just because that's his parents' homeland. He was born there, but they moved here right away. And he said it was so strange being in an environment where women's voices are not heard. He said, because I suddenly he said that stood out for me more than anything else because here, because there they would go, you don't like that guy, you beat the crap out of him, he hit him with a stick, you know? And we wouldn't say that because we say, well, talk to him first. Maybe you can talk it out first, you know. Uh and uh, and we uh, we have a co- guys have a combination of two things here in, in, in America and in a lot of the free world is that we have the toughness so we can defend it. I want my daughters to be tough. Okay. I don't want to be pushed around in business or wherever else it is because they'll get pushed around. I mean, you know, when people see weakness, they go another way and they'll push you around. My grandfather had it, you know, so, so we recognize that. So I want my daughters to be tough, but I don't want them to be guys. I want them to be girls, you know, and they have feminine traits too. Well, guys, it's the same Is we want to be good and being tough, okay? So toughness will help us create new products that nobody has or new uh, discoveries and things like that. But we also want to be collaborative, you know? Like I like recognize with my daughter, I don't listen. I need, I need those skills, you know? And that's a skill I have to learn because it's not wired into me. But when I learn that, suddenly I'm able to... You know, I was able to uncover problems and solutions to problems that, you know, people would say, how do you figure that out? (laughs) I didn't figure it out. I just asked a lot of people. They told me what to do. And I turn around companies and I've done all these successes because I have this collaboration thing, okay? But it, it wasn't wired into me. I had to learn it. And so when we take the fact that, Women and men have have similar, there are a lot of things that are similar, but there are also certain things that are different. We take those, the elements from the two and put them together, suddenly you have stronger men. That be, I have, you know, because I, I deal with senior execs from big companies all the time. And it's amazing how they say, like, I had, you know, as soon as I got my wife or as soon as I got my child, I suddenly changed because I realized how hard it is. Uh, you know, you, you suddenly got to deal with a, a person that, <laughs> that lawyer. You know, the lawyer, uh, the powerful lawyer, he said, my little daughter, I couldn't stop her from from criticizing me. You know, my wife (laughs) wouldn't even criticize me. My daughter, she had no problem. You know, like, wow, it was the first time in my life that anybody was criticizing me. You know, and then I started realizing, wait a second, I am, I don't even realize how people relate to me, that most people are afraid of me. And that came out of his relationship with his daughter. You know, I mean, so we start to understand like it's when you start to learn this, you raise, you you raise up to a higher level and suddenly you can accomplish things that other people can't accomplish. You know, I have this guy who's always in arguments, you know, and he's like, there's never been a woman in his life. He's had short term relationships and never long term relationship. And it's always after a period of time, he starts being critical, ultra critical. Mm-hmm. Well, what a mess. You know, that's yeah, I mean, life is happy when you have, you know, relationships, even though you're going to have some sadness sometimes and whatever else happens, you know, it's still, you know, how do you, they always say it's, you need the opposites. You need the pain, but you also need, you know, we need to be exposed yeah. to all the, the, both sides of it. And when we are, you know, suddenly
1: we have a rich life. Yeah, absolutely. That perspective is, is gold. I mean, it it really is like how you don't know the the highs without the lows and, and there's, there is a lot of that in life.
0: Well, just last thing. So uh, my wife worked at a community college in Canada, okay, Montreal. And there was this guy, a uh, husband and wife had no kids, and he was the um he oversaw all the um you know, um maintenance of all the of all the buildings that they had, okay?
1: Uh-huh.
0: And everything was programmed out for them. Uh they knew exactly how much money they had savings, they knew they were going to do this if they wanted a vacation or whatever they were going to do that. Everything was planned out for them. A month before he retired, she divorced him. Why? Because she said, life has been boring with you. And I realized that boring, my life has been like, whew, whew, like this, mm-hmm. I pray for stuff like that. But I realized that I can look at my life and say, life has not been boring. Life has been fabulous. I mean, they say a life played backwards makes more sense. You know, you look back at your life and of all the different things that happened to you, good things and bad things. And you realize that, wow, this is, what a rich life we have, you know, what a rich life we have. And yeah. I like, that's the, the, the greatest thing. I and mean, I look at my, my friend, Bob, and you know, when he had his, uh, you know, we had a stroke uh, and uh, on a treadmill, I'll remind everybody hanging out on a treadmill, but uh, you know, he has nobody in his life to share, to talk about stuff to, to, you know, I mean, it was just him and her. And suddenly people felt uncomfortable talking to him because he, he, Talk like this you know i mean he was a person that was very prestigious but suddenly you know he couldn't even form words properly and it was really hard and it's just you know the more we recognize that life is wonderful because it's got lots of variation in it and lots of things are happening and we recognize you know we don't i don't want my life to be boring i
1: mean there are moments when i do yeah. but, but in general no i mean you know these are rich lives that we have No, no doubt. And that quote, when you said life makes more sense when you look backward, it kind of leads it leads me to the question that I ask everybody that comes on my podcast, which is what's a piece of advice that you would give to your younger self?
0: You know, I wouldn't nothing. And I'm going to tell you why, because if I would have given myself advice on how to have a better life, then I wouldn't have gone through what I went through. And I look back at my life now. I mean, I, there was a time when we moved to California, we were almost homeless. I mean, I got to experience all that because I I gave up my career, you know, in our studios and everything else. And we had employees. And suddenly I came here to California and I shut it down. I didn't sell it and make money. And so when we came here, I, you know, I I suddenly had to reinvent myself. I had to figure out what I was going to do. And so I I might have said at some point in my life, well, I I should have told myself to do this or that or whatever else. But then I wouldn't enjoy life that I have now. I think that it's, I, I wouldn't want to change anything. Absolutely. I mean, it, it, and it's it's not because I haven't been bad, had bad moments where I wish I could have been better. It's, I wouldn't, I wouldn't recognize it as if I didn't have, if I hadn't gone through it now, you know, again, life played backwards, makes more sense. I look back at my life and go, wow, look at that happen. By the way, when bad things happen, you get good stories.
1: <laughs> I, Let me true. tell you what
0: happened to this. My daughter was outside and she said, I don't have sex
1: with the boy next door. And suddenly, laughed, you know, I yeah. got this experience, you know. Yep. I mean that that is that is so true, and it, hindsight is twenty twenty, right? So I mean these these things these are the things though that I love to capture through people's stories, and I I thank you so much because your insight on the father daughter relationship. Is is it's really near and dear to my heart, and I think it's huge for generational learning and and change and healing. And so, thank you for what you've done. And um, I want people to know where they can find you. So, where where can people reach out? I'm hiding. I'm hiding. <laughs> thank find you, Wally for
0: having me. Absolutely. Um, so, the book is called "The Secret Life of Fathers." That's the Father Daughter Project book, and then Brain Glue is the other book. And if you go to Brain Glue Book dot com and it will actually take you to Amazon so you can kind of you know see what's in the Brain Glue book, and it's really it's fun. I mean, so my daughter loved it, so it must be great.
1: (laughs) Absolutely, and Jack
0: Danfield loved it. So, but anyway, but
1: that's huge. I'm a I'm a a big soup fan, so that yeah, that's that's fantastic. Oh, he's forcing everybody
0: in his company to read the book. He bought copies for everybody in his company. I'm like,
1: really? Can I tell you that? Can I put that on my book? He said, Yeah, fine, okay. Yes, okay, thank you. Awesome. Well, yeah. I encourage I encourage everybody to go find both of your books. And thank you so much for sharing all the things that you've learned. And um, I wish you all the best. Thank you for your time today. Thank you, Wendy, very much. And life isn't over, so hopefully, I got a lot more to learn. Hopefully, not. Absolutely. An angel, but... <laughs> yeah. Well, lifelong learners, the key to longevity. I swear. So. Yeah. Um, so to all my listeners, thank you so much for being here on What I Meant to Say today. And um, I'm here. I'm Wendy Jones, just reminding you to be real, be you, and be better. Thank you for joining us on What I Meant to Say. Another production of Inspired Edutainment brought to you by Be Better Media.